Good morning. It is a joy to be together today around the Word of God and to consider it. We are taking a break from our series of walking through 2 Corinthians. We're going to stray all the way to 1 Corinthians, but near the end of 1 Corinthians so we don't stray too far. We're going to be reading a verse this morning that is oft quoted in Easter hymns and Easter services. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, which says, O death, where is your victory? O death, Where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Here the Apostle Paul is taunting death. Loosely using the language of Hosea 13, 14. Now you know what taunting is, right? Taunting is, we see it, Uh, perhaps most frequently on the athletic field or court when one team is is taunting the other that they're going to win or that they're better or that they're going to crush the other team or something like that. And in most sports it's not considered appropriate and even can be penalized when one person taunts another. But here Paul is taunting death. Where is this great victory you have boasted about? Where is this power you supposedly have? The the title of my sermon this morning is Who Taunts Death? Who Taunts Death. It is a remarkable thing what we see Paul doing here, taunting death. To taunt death, you have to have the power over death. And who has the power over death? Who has even claimed power of all the false boasting? of all the exaggerated claims that politicians and rock stars and athletes and actors and celebrities and just proud people boasting in their own power of all of those who go so far as to taunt death, as to claim power over death. You might find a few, and generally they're either con men or they're insane. And virtually everyone who has ever taunted death in history is now dead. Having come to an ironic end as their claim dies with them. This is why the resurrection of Christ is so important. If he has been raised from the dead, as the Bible claims, if Jesus 
is still alive today in the flesh, then Jesus does indeed have power over death. And in his name, the apostle can actually taunt death. The Bible claims Jesus brought about the death of death. That's why Paul can taunt death. Because it's lost its power. You know, one of the things you see a lot in movies, and as as I was thinking about that, I've probably seen this 40 times in various TV shows and movies. The same scene where there's somebody that's holding a gun on someone else. And the person who the gun is pointing at is not acting afraid at all. He's not backing down. He's acting like he doesn't care. And as it turns out, you find out he knows the gun's not loaded. Or it's just got blanks in it. Haven't you seen that many times in movies? Well, that's how you can taunt death. Is when you know it has no more bullets. Its stinger has been removed. Its poison is gone. It may look the same from the outside, but it's no longer a threat. That's Paul's courage in the face of death. And that's our courage. Death is doomed. And its doom is sealed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now I want to clarify I'm not saying that we won't die. You see, the Bible talks about two deaths. If you want to get technical, the Bible talks about two deaths. There is the first death, which is when your body dies, and usually either buried or cremated. But then there is what the Bible calls the second death. The second death is... When, under the wrath of God, a person is sentenced to eternity in hell. Revelation 20, verse 14. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The second death is the real problem. And that's what Christ conquered on the cross by taking the penalty of sin upon himself in our place. Now Christ also conquers the first death. By promising to raise us up on the last day in new resurrected bodies. Now the world can scorn this. They can mock the idea that death can be conquered. They can say it's an unreasonable hope that Christians have and laugh at us for having it. But the world can't 
offer something better. And they won't even try. They can't even match. The world has no answer for death. Now they may say, you know, maybe eventually medical science is going to get to the point where we can live forever. And they can say that all they like. Show it to me. It's not happening. Yes, we're living uh, average longer, but you know, we're not living... The, the, the oldest people in the world aren't living any longer than the oldest people 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Death has been imposed upon mankind from outside. It's not just a matter of our bodies and our world. God has imposed death upon us as a result of sin. And there is no conquering death except in Christ. The world doesn't want to talk about death. Because the world doesn't have an answer for death. The world doesn't have a way to deal with it. You know, we have this amazing human capacity to ignore things that we don't want to face. It's uncanny. We talk about it in our language even. We have this expression, ignoring the elephant in the room. And the reason we have that expression is because people, human beings, have this amazing ability to have an elephant in the room and act like he's not there. Death is the elephant in the room of mankind. And we want to go along and play our video games and root for our teams and build our buildings and do our stuff and ignore the fact that there's an elephant in the room. The world prefers its miserable hopelessness to the one who can give life. The world doesn't like to talk about sin either because it doesn't have a way to deal with sin. And the same is true about death. Christians are the ones who have no reason to avoid the subject of death, though sometimes we do. One day each of us will be dying. We will be forced to face death, whether we like it or not. Just look at what's happening to people's bodies as they age. Go visit our nursing home. Go visit a cemetery. That's where we're all headed. That's what we're going to look like. That's where we're, our bodies will be. We're all on a conveyor belt. And it doesn't take a genius. It does take, you can do it if you're determined not to think about it. But it doesn't take a genius to see that if you're here in the conveyor belt, eventually you're going to be down here in the conveyor belt as it moves along. We're all going to get to the end of the conveyor belt someday. When I was born, my father was the age of my son Nathaniel. And, uh, which is like about a year younger than my son Jacob, 
for those of you who know my sons. And I watched him go through his 30s, his 40s, his 50s, his 60s, his 70s, his 80s, his early 90s. He finally passed away just over a year ago. And now I'm 64. One of my best pastor friends died just a few weeks ago. He was three months younger than I am, than I was. Maybe I have 30 years more to live. Maybe I have 30 minutes more to live. I don't know. But there's no way that I have 40 more years to live. I'm going to die. You're going to die. All God's people are going to die. Except for the ones who are still alive when Jesus returns. It's no solution to refuse to think about it. So make your will. So plan your funeral. Your life on this earth will come to an end. And you'll eventually be forgotten like everyone else. But if you belong to Christ, you don't have to be afraid of death. You will be welcomed into his presence in paradise. And not only will you not be forgotten, but you will dwell in the light of your father's love forever. And everything you did here on earth for him will be remembered forever and celebrated. Beloved, I want to be able to taunt death. When my time comes, I want to be able to look death in the eye and say, Come on, make my day. Send me to Jesus. I don't mean that we should want to die before it's time. But it should be love that keeps us wanting to stay here. Not fear and not enjoyment. I would like to think about this for a minute. First of all, think about the whole tendency to want to stay here because of fear. Fearing death is so often ruined. I'm sorry, facing death is so often ruined by this fear of pain and this fear of the unknown. Has God not proven himself enough to us for us to put our trust in him? Is his sacrifice not adequate to cover our sins? Do we really think that our sins are bigger than his grace? Does the one who instituted death in the first place as a result of sin not have the power to undo death? Can't the one who spoke life into being 
with the words of his mouth also speak death out of being? Hasn't he come through for us in the past? All those times we were afraid, all those times that looked so much like things were crashing down around us, didn't he come through for us? Wasn't he there for us? Why do you think that he may not be there for you on the day that you die? Or maybe you're not sure of him. Maybe you're not sure you've ever truly repented. You're not sure that you've ever really given your heart to Jesus. Maybe you haven't. Peter, in 2 Peter 1, he talks about making your election sure. So repent now. Give your life to him now. Remove the doubt. Put your trust in him now. And now let's talk about the other temptation, the being afraid of dying because we're having such a good time here, the enjoyment of it. Last week we talked about how preferring this world to the next is like preferring to do our food intake by dumpster diving instead of by going to a fine restaurant. It's crazy. But this week... Notre Dame Cathedral burned in Paris. And everyone was talking about what a great catastrophe it was. And so this week, I have a different analogy for you. Notre Dame made me think about the magnificent temple of the Lord in Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. It was one of the wonders of the world. And I thought about John 4, where Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well. And he basically tells her that the temple is no longer where it's at. And then I thought about the day when Jesus and his disciples were walking out of the temple. And the disciples were so enamored with this building. We're told this story in Mark 13. As they came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to Jesus, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And indeed, less than 40 years later, in 70 AD, that glorious temple was ruined, completely ruined, so that there wasn't one stone left upon another. Brothers and sisters, one day it's all going to burn. The world, its days are numbered. The day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Notre Dame is a nice building. We were there a couple years ago and enjoyed it. But it's nothing compared to the place where believers are going. Ours is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 Peter 1. There is only one building that matters. It's the one Jesus spoke of in John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. My friends, if you think Christianity is all about making the world a better place, you've got it all wrong. Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, the same chapter where our responsive reading and scripture reading come from. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's not about this life. If we can face death, you see, we can face anything. The worst of problems can't overcome us because we know that Christ is with us and that he's bigger than all of our problems. If God is for us, who can be against us? People who are afraid of death are living for this world. They're also afraid of people thinking bad of them. And people like that lead the church into compromise with the world. Because if we're afraid of death, then we're afraid of persecution. And if we're afraid of persecution, we're afraid of standing up for the truth no matter the cost. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. Jesus said, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew ten twenty eight. And Jesus didn't say this because he's trying to get people to be afraid of hell. Rather, in saying this, he's calling people to come to him that they might escape from hell. He doesn't just want people to live their lives afraid of hell. He wants people to flee from the danger of hell and come to his embrace in faith that we might escape. Dying isn't that bad for the believer because his loving kindness is better than life. 
Psalm 63, his loving kindness is better than life. It's his loving kindness is better than living. And when you die, his loving kindness is not removed. It's actually increased, at least our enjoyment of it is. Do you believe this? This is our hope. This is our only hope. You can live a life and just put aside the question of death and just keep marching in a like blinders on. Just keep doing what's right in front of you to do and don't think about what's coming. But there's a cliff up ahead. And if you're not ready for that cliff when the time comes, you will perish on the rocks. But in Christ, it doesn't need to be so. He has conquered death. And therefore, we can look death in the eye and we can say, where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? It is not a threat to us. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we celebrate you. We celebrate your victory. We celebrate that you broke the bonds of death and set us free from it. Thank you, Lord, that you're just the first of many who will be delivered from the bonds of death. Thank you that you deliver also all those who put their hope and faith in you, who love you from the heart. And we pray, O Lord, that you would work in us, that each heart here this morning would look to you and listen to you and flee to you and receive you. Lord, this world is a bleak and a dark place without your light. But we thank you that you are the light of the world. We know that many avoid the light because they do not want their sins exposed. But Lord, we come to the light, willing for our sins to be exposed, because we know that you are the forgiver of sins, that that's what the cross was all about. And now, Lord, as we come to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we ask for your blessing upon it, that as we partake of the bread and the wine. That, dear Lord, in our hearts, we would be partaking of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That we would be feeding on him, receiving him, welcoming him into our life and heart. And therefore, empowered by him as we go forth from this place. We pray in Jesus' precious name.
Amen.